Yeah. I mean, this is kind of overarching suggestions for founders is like, number one, know what your superpower is and kind of lean into that. And then the second point would be put up guardrails for the things that are like your kryptonite. Like my kryptonite is new shiny objects. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. I'm stoked to welcome Chris Cheatham to the show today. Chris, love if you do a little intro of yourself uh, and your work. Yeah, my name is Chris Cheatham. I used to be a lawyer, which is funny to some people because of my last name. <laughs> If you can't beat them, cheat them. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's like a do. There's a Three Stooges joke about some like reoccurring law firm they would mention called Dewey Cheatham. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I get that a lot. Let's see. I work at a software company now called Bold Penguin. We do like we help insurance agents like get insurance quotes for their customers. Uh, and I'm on the marketing side. I had a company previously called Risk Genius that got acquired by Bold Penguin. And I think along the way, kind of realized I'm I'm decent at marketing to B two B. So here we are. Right on, right on. And so you went from the the founder path to the acquisition and then sort of like into a, a practitioner, like functional role there? Yeah, yeah. I kind of, have you ever seen the show Silicon Valley, like the TV show? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of describe myself as the big head of insurance tech because I'm like, yeah, it's like he's the character that got acquired, his company got acquired and he didn't really think he was, he knew what he was doing. Kind of a, a goofus, a doofus character. And finds himself like on the roof, like with other founders that have been acquired by that big company, like grilling steaks and stuff like that. So I like kind of kind of poke fun at myself and <laughs> say that's that's like me. But um, yeah, actually, I'm, I think I'm helping with marketing, so that's good. Right on, right on. So okay, InsureTech, uh, you know, what's the story? You know, just dive in yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so InsureTech is like like if you think about the old way of doing insurance, you would like fill out this paper application, whether you're getting business insurance or personal insurance, or your agent fills it out for you. Usually you fill it out though. Or you send an email to your agent, your agent fills it out and they send it back and then you can scan it and, you know, maybe sign the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, if you're lucky, right? And so in 2015, 2016, Bold Penguin, you know, said, wait a second, there's these things called APIs and the insurance carriers, we think we'll start building them. And when they build them, we can build a portal where agents can log into one place, uh, submit information one time to get a quote back from multiple carriers in order to then provide that those quotes, those options to the small businesses that need insurance. And honestly, it's like, it's like, duh, now, right? Like 2022, it's like, of course. But integrating with all those legacy systems is like, you know, non-trivial. <laughs> Well, it's, it wasn't even possible with those, with those legacy systems because they didn't have APIs, right? So a lot of modernization of insurance carrier technology stacks had to happen in order for all of this to work. But that's happened. And then there's others trying to catch up now. And 
Yeah, so that's kind of what Bold Penguin does. That's what the like small business insurance quoting software does that we that we have. And so talk about it like from the standpoint of obviously lots of agents need the technology. Has it broadened, you know, from there, or is it a very niche audience that is just really like insurance uh, agent and broker? I mean, we very specifically target agents because there's millions upon millions of them in the United States. I think there's like 15 million plus. Other companies in the insure tech space have gone the route of trying to compete with the agents and be like a digital platform where small businesses come in and enter their information and get quotes back. Um, what we've found is that what we believe very strongly is that the agents will always play a role in that process because like you can go get a quote on small business insurance, but are you going to sit there and read through a 60 page policy to try to figure out what it covers and doesn't cover and know which one's better than the other. So there will, there's, um, I mean, maybe 50 years from now it's different, but like we believe in the near term future agents absolutely have a role. And so we're trying to just empower them. So, I mean, small business insurance is humongous. Small business is huge, right? And everyone needs insurance in small business. So we're happy to just to focus on, on that space. Has there been a discernible move to cyber and other types of uh, risk pools like that? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely new products coming out every day. Cyber is probably the most prominent one. I actually think cyber hasn't been picked up by businesses as frequently as I expected. I mean, insurance is a thing that you buy because you have to buy it as a business. It's not because you're like, oh, I'm going to go get this awesome policy. I can't wait. So getting people to buy new products that are like sort of optional is tricky. But, you know, we focus on seven core lines of coverage, like a general liability policy or a business owner's policy. And basically everyone needs those and has to have those. Right, right. So, yeah, you know, it would be helpful is maybe even that rundown for the small businesses. I think a lot of people are dramatically underinsured. You know, they don't know what they don't know. And I've been with a lot of businesses that, you know, sort of uh, finally have to do some large procurement for a, a good large client that requires them to buy a bunch of stuff and they don't even know what to do at that time. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a lot of different potential coverages like general liability tends to be one of the broad ones. Uh, business owners policies, like I mentioned, uh, you have like commercial auto. Uh, most companies will have a workers compensation policy. And then you can kind of branch out from there and do some other stuff that's a little bit more specialized. But yeah, that underinsured part is really interesting. We actually had a partnership we announced last year with Amazon and Marsh. Marsh is one of the biggest uh, brokers. And uh, basically, Amazon was saying to their suppliers, hey, you need to make sure you have this particular product liability coverage, right? Because if you sell these products on our marketplace and something goes wrong, we need to know there's insurance backing that up. So that's a great example, actually, of kind of the underinsured part and trying to turn into solve for that and using a platform like Bold Penguin, frankly, to distribute those products very quickly. So we get that a lot. Yeah. And so the agent then is the party who deals with the small business. So you have like sort of a B2B2B type of model. It's not marketplace. It's more like it's like a pipeline then. So a service that enables the service provider. Yeah. And actually, it's funny you mentioned that because the the very first thing that was launched at Bold Penguin, this is before I was a, a part of the company, uh, is called the Bold Penguin Exchange, which actually is we'll go find small businesses or small businesses come to us that want insurance and we pass them off to an agent. So it's basically like, hopefully nobody hears this Bold Penguin, but it's like Legion, but it's a little bit better because they're like warm prospects looking for 
looking for an agent to help them with their insurance. So that is a big component of it, especially as more small business insurance is going online, getting really good at capturing those small businesses digitally is going to be a big, big game for everyone. Yeah, it's huge for lead gen aggregators are sort of a, a whole sort of reminds me of like, a you know, I needed to get work done at home and you think you're trying to get a quote from somebody local and then, uh, you know, home advisor sends you 4,000 emails and uh, calls your phone all day long because they, they told, you know, 65 different tree guys that they could come to your, your house. So there's good and bad ways to do that kind of aggregation, but, you know, a larger company can clearly particularly with the tech disposition can fund and build out a marketing infrastructure that, you know, could make that more worthwhile than any small agency could do. Yeah. And like, we try to stay out of what I think that dark world of the spammy cold leads that you kind of mentioned, right? Right. right. That stuff is just, I mean, and it, it exists in small business insurance, right? Where it's like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I want to, I'm an agent wanting leads. And somebody says, okay, I'll sell them to you. And then yeah. it's like a list of 4,000 new businesses yeah. that just filed that don't have any intent to buy insurance. It's just like, you're supposed to go cold call them. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're trying to do like kind of these warm prospect handoffs. So it's yeah. like literally a phone call to you, the agent that's like, Hey, I got somebody, I got a um, tree person, a tree. I don't know. What's it called? Arborist? Arborist. An arborist. <laughs> yes. Big word for the day. I have an arborist looking for insurance. Can you help him in Nashville, Tennessee, for example? Yeah, right, right. So you guys obviously have the tech disposition. You need to speak the language of people that are probably not tech people, you know, kind of at all. And so on the marketing front, how does that impact your work? Like, how do you frame out that strategy? Yeah, I think of it as like, any software sale, right? I think software sales all have the same common denominator. Does it work? Like, does it work? Does it do what you're telling me it's going to do? So in our case, it's like, if I enter this information about this one business, which takes me five minutes or so, do how do I know, how do I trust that I'm going to get a quote back, right? And so we have a big advantage. We've done over 3 million quotes at this point through through our our software platform we have 26 i don't know 20 plus insurance carriers that provide products on our marketplace now right so um, that is the big thing that you have to share and so there's lots of ways to do that right it's testimonials from customers that are using it right now i think that's one of the best ways to do it it's very simply explaining how the software works i actually got a somebody sent me a one pager uh, on a new product that we have built out where like an agency can build out their own storefront and then it just connects right into our portal and then everyone can do the quotes much faster. And I looked at it and I was like, this is so complicated. Like, why are we telling people they need an omni-channel presence for digital <laughs> quoting? Like an agent has never woke up in the morning and then said, I want to go omni-channel. They're like, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get more quotes. I want to get more business. I want to make more money. And somebody so, knocked on the product marketing manager's office door and said, they don't know what these words mean. That's me, actually. I actually got the white paper and I was like, yeah, yeah. what the heck does all of this mean? Right. right Why right. are we talking about it this way? Let's and change so it You around. are not the customer. Let's, yes. let's think about customer empathy here. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like the McKinsey, McKinsey or Deloitte. You know, that's how they write about this stuff. Right. 
<laughs> but like, that's not how agents want to read about this stuff or learn about this stuff. Right. Absolutely. So you sit in the translator seat. Yeah. That's a great way to think about it. And like, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was literally going through that white paper. And I think one of the weird skills that I have is because I was a lawyer, I think ex overly logically, right. Um, a to B, B to C, and it better be a very straight path or my brain just doesn't like it. Of course, lawyers themselves are not famous for using language that the rest of us understand. Ah, <laughs> oh, see, I actually, I disagree with that. I disagree with that a lot right, because right. like one of the first times I was, a, I remember when I was a, a legal intern, my very first job and I was working for this really awesome lawyer named Bruce here in, in Kansas City is where I live. And he wanted me to write a legal brief. And I knew the topic, I understood that. And, he's, and I was like, do you have an example? And so he gave me an example. And it was, I think he set me up on purpose because it was like flowery language, flowery, ugh, obtuse language. Like there's another word that actually no one uses, but it was like lots of stuff in sentences that doesn't make sense. And I wrote the brief for myself like that. And he got it back and he just red penned it all over the place. He's like, why are you describing it like this? And so ever since then, I've been like, all right, I'm going to write like I talk to my wife or my kids or whoever just in real life. And then if somebody ever wants to go get super technical, go crazy. But that's not me. That's not what I'm going to do. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking, uh, what do they say? Like, you know, fifth grade language, you know, which is really hard. I mean, it's hard to simplify concepts. Uh, I'm a father too, you know, and explaining to kids like complicated things, it really teaches you how to, you know, sort of go, all right, like, how do I break this down into elemental concepts? And uh, I, I find a lot of, you know, marketing and, and copywriting you know, is about that is like making it relevant to the, the people that you're talking to in a non sort of uh, overbearing, large word, complicated kind of way. Or like, and one of the examples that kind of resonated, like that I remember from yesterday is there was a whole section on this one pager called features and functionality. And I was like, I don't think anyone cares about features and functionality. They care about how it works. So let's take all of these features and just turn it into like a very simple, I want people to feel like, again, trust. I want them to trust that this is easy to use. Like they sign up for this and they're going to have a storefront, right? They need to believe that. And if they don't believe that, they're never going to sign up for a demo because they won't trust us to execute for them. Right, right. I am a big advocate of you first language and, and copywriting. It's like I want to take all the we's and the I's and it's out of there. And it's just like if I can't phrase everything with the word you, like second person language is too complicated and that that's the way that I just kind of lean into it like it's it's the way to sit in that second person seat and be like what value does this human want to achieve here and then uh, eliminate all my five syllable words because I'm a big old nerd so. talk about your your path lawyer to to founder to acquisition to marketer I think that that is a unique one I haven't heard too many times yeah. Um, and actually there's a, a common, uh, common that I keep, whenever I do these webinars that there's a thing that I keep saying, like a word yesterday, it was wildly successful. I said wildly successful, like 10 different times. So today apparently it's denominator, which I think is funny. So, um, I was a lawyer, flowery, flowery, yep. Flowery denominators. Um, 
flowery denominator that sounds like a band like a like a touring band okay so i was a construction litigator like big construction disputes so a project goes bad i would go figure out what happened and then figure out who to rep- who are, who are we representing who are we going to sue etc I, I really like the research and the writing component of it i did not like the other lawyers component of it because i don't really like conflict and so, you know, I still doing the job because very rarely when you're a young associate, are you dealing with the other side? So, but when I did, it really sucked. I hated it. At the time, I don't even know how I stumbled upon this, but Seth Godin, like probably one of the most famous marketers out there and his book, Lynchpin. And I'm actually right across from me in my office. I'm staring at this painting I bought that it's like a quote from him. This is it. Fight like hell. Lynchpin. Like, I just loved it and the drawing. And like, I read that I started reading his books and it like got into my soul basically, where I was like, I don't like this lawyer thing. I want to be more like a linchpin. Like that resonates with me. And so started, I initially went out and started a consulting firm, which is hilarious because I was 26 to do like construction claim writing. Cause that's what I thought I loved doing. And then from there, I had a mentor who she worked at a big insurance company and she said, hey, what we really need is like insurance claim document handling in the cloud with like Facebook. Like she put all these things together and basically she was looking for like a document review collection and management service and software. And so we I ended up creating a company called Claim Kit that did that. That that, this is the short story, but that morphed then into... um, Basically, I got a call higher up at the headquarters of that insurance company, and they said, we've seen your claim document stuff. Can you do this for insurance policies? And I had a bad habit back then of saying, yes, we can, and then trying to figure it out. Um, That's actually not a great habit of entrepreneurs and startup people. You got to say no, actually, a lot more. But I said yes. And so Claim Kit morphed into Risk Genius, where we were... Um, it's basically trying to apply artificial intelligence to insurance policies to read and comprehend them so that other people wouldn't have to do that. They could go straight to kind of the detailed analysis. And then Risk Genius got acquired by Bold Penguin. Um, that product is now called ClauseLink. It's one of our data science products. Uh, and at Bold Penguin, I am the product evangelist, which you can make fun of that and ask me all about that if you want. Uh, that title yeah, and here it we means are. You get to be on podcasts. It's good. Yeah, it means I get to be on podcasts, and <laughs> I can wear hats because I'm like the crazy guy. So I just show yeah, up. That's right. That's right. That's right. I, I don't um, have a ponytail. Though. I need to grow a ponytail. And you were not a non-technical founder, as they say. How the hell did you get into like, hey, we should build machine learning things? Like, yeah. how did you how did you manifest that? Yeah, I have a tendency just to, I, 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 it's like a moth to flame with new technology in me. Like I just really find it interesting. So I always want to figure it out. So back then what I noticed when I was a lawyer was machine learning technology coming out for legal document review. It's actually this funny story where we had a customer named Rio Tinto, which is a big mining company down in Australia. And I always, well, I'll never forget this article that popped up on my screen one day in my email inbox. It was like, Rio Tinto General Counsel says no more associates, right? And I was an associate for a law firm that worked for her. I was like, that's weird. So first it was like <laughs> that year it was outsourcing. The next year, kind of around that same time, it was like Rio Tinto signs groundbreaking contract with AI company. 
was like, what is this? And so there was this technology called technology assisted review where the machine learning would go through the documents. And so I kind of remembered that when the insurance contract thing popped up, I was like, okay, can we apply that same technology to insurance clauses? So here we are. And how did you staff and build out a, a company to do all that stuff? Very poorly. Um, <laughs> I don't know anybody that ever talks about their first staffing story any different than that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So basically there were other AI companies, like AI back in 2016 is kind of like what Web3 crypto NFT is now, I'd say. Right. So there were AI companies popping up and there were startups were a big thing in Kansas City as well. Everyone wanted to work at one. And so I don't know, I, I have an ability to like network and find the right people that are interested in doing those things that I'm looking to do. I'm, and so ended up finding engineers. We found a data scientist that was interested in solving the problem just through networking, basically. And like kind of just hired people and found our way and um, sort of got to a decent solution. <laughs> I, I love yourself deprecation obviously you don't take yourself too seriously but you did end up with a technology company that got acquired uh that seems to be a, a dream path for you know a lot of people so uh lots of things obviously went right too yeah yeah i mean we had really happy investors so that's great and like honestly i think a big part of it was being good at marketing frankly like so one of my luckiest slash kind of most serendipitous moments was as a marketer um, I, I don't even know what year it was, but I was, I had made a new year's resolution. This is a true story to post more on LinkedIn because I knew our users were on LinkedIn. Right. And so, and this is probably 2014, 2015, sometime around then, right when InsureTech starting to blow up. And so I'm writing, so I write three days a week and it was back when no one really updated LinkedIn very much. And it was like, no one ever talked about kind of real life stuff ever. Right. Like, and I started posting three times a week about our journey building Risk Genius. Now the kids call this building in public. I didn't even realize this was a thing to this year. Building in public. Like I might be one of the first people that built in public on LinkedIn. Nice. And so I'm doing that. Honestly, my friends are just like, what the heck are you doing posting so much on LinkedIn? I'm getting right. notifications right. from you every day. But then one day I got a notice from an email from LinkedIn itself Somebody there, I thought it was spam to be totally honest when I first read it, but they were like, hey, we're coming out with our new app and we're going to make a recommendation for a follow in each industry and you're going to be the insurance follow. Is that okay? I was like, <laughs> sure. And so lo and behold, they did it. And I woke up the next day and I had 150,000 followers, <laughs> just, just insurance people. And so I could post anything I wanted and know that, you know, it's going to be 10,000 to 100,000 views every time. Wow. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Hey, that you doesn't made work. A, you much. made a content bet at the right time. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We got lucky on that one. So it's like cool. writing uh, the authoritative blog on something in 2010. You're really glad you kept up with it. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's exactly right. Very cool. So we're, we're in podcast land now. Has your marketing brain turned on to, um, you know, that that's the next thing? No, no. I, I actually dabbled a little bit with podcasts, but I was, I think I was, too late for my brain to be excited about it, to be honest with you. Like everyone has a podcast almost, it seems right. And so 
I've actually, what I'm really poking around in now and like interested in how it works is Discord. I am seeing, and this starts working into the Web3 NFT stuff, but like I'm so interested now in how communities are forming on Discord. Like that is, it's like your classic grassroots, um, you know, 100 fans or 1,000 fans or whatever you think that number is. That's where some really interesting stuff's happening. So um, you think B2B also is going to? Oh yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. It'll be there. Like I'm still waiting for the first insurance company to come out with a NFT of their mascot, whether that's flow or the gecko or whatever that is. And then creating a discord that goes with that and making these really rare NFTs that super fans get because like people wait in line to get autographs from flow, for example. Right. So there's a collectible there. So there's an NFT there. So that's going to happen eventually. Like um, like beer companies are already doing NFTs. So insurance companies have to be right behind. Hmm. Interesting. Um, it makes me think, you know, it's like, like you said, the hot thing now is the the web three and all the discussions. And you kind of always wonder what a couple of years later, you know, is, is going to be the laughable. I can't believe we actually thought that like, you know, sort of clubhouse is taking a beating right now. Cause remember a year ago when everybody wanted to be on clubhouse and you know, it's like communities, have come and gone in all sorts of different formats and lots of people are still on Reddit and, you know, all types of, of things. It's interesting to see what endures and, uh, you know, sort of how it plays out. And those aren't just marketing conversations. It's like sort of the zeitgeist of different generations and approaches. Yep. It's just little tight communities being built, built in small applicate, well, small applications, the hot new application. Right. And so, right just keeps moving and how do you know where to invest in something like that because it could be the one that flames out next year like how do you make those choices at this point now that i'm like a seasoned veteran it's whether i can figure it out or not (laughs) like i tried snap and i was like i don't understand what's going on here I can't figure out. I'm, I'm out. Uh, I'm sorry. We, we look a similar vintage. And yes, I, I signed up for that once. And I'm like, I can't even use this. Like, yeah. This is awful. Yeah. And then TikTok makes me really uncomfortable. So that one I tapped out of. Like, I still I still love Twitter. I think it's fun. I just use Twitter for sports, basically. Right. And I'll still play with LinkedIn for work stuff. Although the LinkedIn algorithms are going a different way right now. So I hope you post a poll every day because that's all I get on. <laughs> I, I refuse to. Actually, yesterday, they I noticed yesterday they just started having suggestions of what to write about. And they suggested I write about mental health. <laughs> and so I kind of just riffed on that. I was like, I don't really want to write about mental health, but LinkedIn is telling me to. So I'm going to pretend <laughs> like I'm writing about it. And now here's you know, I'm the rest feeling of really life. insecure and anxious about this post. But <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's no different than the Facebook algorithms or the Twitter algorithms. They like are promoting whatever will get the most eyes. I get right, that. Right. I mean, insurance isn't known to be the the most uh, forward thinking, you know, everybody has this idea of like, you know, boring, uh, not even as cool as fintech, you know, type of thing. So like, how yeah. do you, how do you keep everybody jazzed about that? Uh, I'm, I'm laughing because like, I have to keep myself jazzed about that. And I, I ebb and flow as well. And so I'm always looking out for like, new things, whether it's inside our company or outside our company. Um, like we have a, like I mentioned, kind of the white label storefronts coming out. I know that's not like mind blowing for most people, but for insurance, that's kind of cool. Uh, or for like small business insurance, that's cool. Like people are like the agents are going to get really excited about that. 
Um, this is completely nerdy, but like, actually not really. So one of the things about our software that I think any software in this kind of business insurance space that needs improved is like the best application, which I think is Bold Penguin, we get a quote for the user maybe like 60% of the time because that's how many carriers will actually provide coverage for most small businesses. Just, right? That's like 40% of the time people aren't getting the answer they want. And so the answer is to go to excess and surplus lines, which is basically like insurance built for more bespoke small businesses. And we now have to figure out how to integrate that into our platform. And it's really hard because when you hear the word bespoke, it's like, how do you take a bespoke thing and make it into a software thing? Um, but that's how all new things start, right? And so we just announced a partnership with PathPoint. PathPoint is attempting to make excess and surplus insurance uh, digital. That's cool. That's great. Like, I'm interested in how we get to magic. Like, a non-bold penguin thing is like the kind of web three crypto insurance companies that are popping up. Like Nexus Mutual is one, right? If you have a um, blockchain error or something like that, that causes somebody to lose money, they'll cover it. It's kind of interesting. Right. So I just look for the new things that keep me excited. I mean, smart contracts seems to be something that you should eventually have in insurance. Uh, you know, did a risk happen and what's supposed to happen as a result of the you know, event and all those things. Of course, I guess you'd have to limit yourself to the business rules, of course, are sort of like, that's why I guess underwriters are, uh, or, you know, sort of claim adjusters exist because did this thing happen that we claimed, you know, we would pay for? And I, that's always going to be the hard part. So. And I mean, honestly, smart contracts are really dumb, to be honest with you. Right. Like, they're yeah. dumb contracts. So it's literally if A happens, then B. Right. And then you build lots of those. And so humans definitely can make mistakes with those. That's essentially what that Nexus mutual product that I understand exists covers, right? So that's kind of cool. So I don't know, stuff like that is kind of what keeps me interested and uh, keeps me uh, still talking. <laughs> right on, right on. So on that path that you had recommendations for founders that are coming out of, you know, whatever industry they're in, you know, you sort of, you've seen a lot of the steps compressed there in a, in a nice way. And I'm just curious, you know, sort of your overall responses to, or thinking about, you know, the next generation founders. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of overarching suggestions for founders is like, number one, know what your superpower is and kind of lean into that. And then the second point would be put up guardrails for the things that are like your kryptonite. Like my kryptonite is new shiny objects. And so I have to be very careful not to go down lots of rabbit holes, but that's like, it's kind of the yin and the yang of what I'm good at is seeing a new thing and then explaining it to people. But I can only explain so many new things before I'm down lots of rabbit holes and can't actually produce work. I'm just like researching and learning. So that's kind of what I, I think there's a lot of founders that have some version of that where they're great at spotting opportunities, but then making sure you stop on an opportunity and, and solve it completely before you move on to the next thing. Yeah. Like the execution becomes more boring than the, the seeking of the, the thing. So what are the guardrails? Cause I think you're totally right. Like that is a very founder disposition. How, how do you set up a guardrail? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it's a person that can say no to you and will say no to you and that you'll listen to. That's kind of like what I've always realized I 
I had one of those and my co-founder actually would say no to me. And then he left because he started an awesome brewery and kind of lost that guardrail, actually. It's kind of an insight I haven't had till like literally just now. So, um, but then I'm here for, man. Yeah, you're like a you're like my startup uh, psychotherapist. This is great. <laughs> God, um, <awesome>. yeah. <laughs> but like, also just knowing your kryptonite, you can be your own guardrail. Then at that point, but you got to be really self aware to do that. So yeah, just being really self aware, I think, is a way to to manage. Yeah, I love that you said human because I think that that's sort of important. And I kind of wondered if there like might be a, a technological you know solution. But myself being exactly like that that person. You know, I had to have the human guardrail, you know, co-founder as well. And, you know, any managed sort of, you know, getting things done or Asana or like any any to-do list management or other uh, accountability system known to mankind, I have failed out of it. <laughs> I actually, up on my screen is OmniFocus, which I has stuck with me by my side since like my legal days. And it, it keeps me, I don't know, I've waned and waxed on using it, but like, Ultimately, I, I I really like that one. I'm big productivity. Yeah, it's pretty. It's like kind of hard to figure out, but once you do, it's pretty awesome. I need to add to my quiver of ones I've failed on. So yeah, totally get it. <laughs> All right. So uh, well, we covered a little futurist stuff. I usually ask at the end, though. You know, what should everybody be paying attention to? You know, in yeah. the B two B realm. Um, I mean, there's lots of answers. Uh, I don't know. I want some smart, really smart answer that's not Web3, but it's hard not to say Web3 because I don't know. It's just something's really interesting about this, like creating this. Basically, you don't have to ask permission anymore to have things happen on the Internet, kind of which is what exists in Web2. So parts of it are definitely resonate. It's also really scary, frankly, what can happen with Web3 because like it you hold the keys so you can get hacked very easily. So I think that's going to be a very, very big problem. Um, like if I click on the wrong link um, in Discord, everything in my MetaMask wallet could be gone. That's insane. Like that is a whole new paradigm. So um, I think that's super interesting. I don't know. I'm kind of like just really, and it's going to go down is the other thing. Like there's going to be the um, valley of despair coming in Web3. <laughs> Like without a doubt. And so what's going to come out of that? That's the really interesting part to me. I'm kind of like, when you start seeing like, the tweets about, you know, how every business is basically a blog with a vision again, you know, uh, and those of us old enough to remember, you know, dot com and <laughs> boom and those things like it's just like this is completely insane. Now, of course, there are like core elements that will endure and that are important, but, you know, not all the things labeled web three DeFi, and crypto are actually real. You just don't I go mean, throwing time and money after all this crap. Yeah, you can't. And like, honestly, there 90% of it feels like scams. Um, when I look at it, it's like, what is like, I had a friend in this thing called, I'm not even gonna say it. Cause I'm scared. The whole attack. <laughs> it was like a, a DeFi thing. And he all of a sudden showed up one day and like a venture capital firm and taken it over essentially and paid themselves out and everyone else had nothing. I was like, that is insane. That is right. Um, so yeah, stuff like that, I think is, uh, it, it exists in waves right now. Well, I think you, you said it the right way. I was like, it has to be something that you can understand and get your head yes. around, you yeah. know, and you, I think you, you said seasoned before, you know, I, I think is right because you just, 
you get the sense that like, if I can't understand this, there's probably not a there there. Yep. You know, and yep. you know, and I think it, it it reminds me of sort of you know the the Warren Buffett. You know, if I can't understand it, I'm not going to you yep. know invest in it. And hundred uh, percent, I think that you need to grow your own intuition in that way. Where like, if it smells like BS, it probably is, and and that's okay to walk yeah. away and miss it. Or even something simpler, which is like, if I don't have time to figure it out. I should not be looking at this. I should not bother. my thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, right. I mean, like, like I like everybody else. I poo pooed, you know, sort of Bitcoin at, at three grand, and yeah. you know, I don't own any of that, and you know, yeah. that's okay. I, that's I'm fine. Yeah, I, totally. I'm not disappointed that you know, like, we could, God bless everybody who wants to you know invest their money in there, but you know, yeah. it's just it's not totally. my thing. So <laughs> I still have a book on my shelf that's like how to mine Bitcoin from 2013. Like, I think that's kind of funny. Like if I had actually read that and figured it out, like there's a guy I know actually that mined Bitcoin back in 2013. He had 10,000 of them and he got them when they're, he basically mined them when they're like a penny or something really low and they popped to a dollar each. And so he sold them for $10,000. Dumped it. Yeah. If he had it now, he'd be like a billionaire or something like that. It's yeah. wild. So, but like, that's well, the same thing as reading, like, if you can remember, like, you know, the books with like Dow 100,000, you know, like it's just, there was unlimited upside. And so, you know, I, uh, and I feel like I remember my, my father telling me, you know, this is all a bunch of crap, uh, you know, and I'm like, no, dad, it's a new thing. And it's going to be amazing. And, you know, everybody's going to be rich and, <laughs> you know, and, here we are. And it's like watching it from the other side when I have the gray beard. So I don't know. Fun stuff. Well, Chris, man, thanks. Thanks for the conversation. It was fun. Anybody wants to reach out and, you know, get in touch with you. Uh, how do they do that? Um, if you want to talk to me in a business more, I don't know, LinkedIn or Twitter. So Chris Cheatham, either one, I think it's like linkedin.com forward slash Chris Cheatham or Chris Cheatham on Twitter, like at Chris Cheatham, easy to do. Happy to talk. And if you happen to be a, a insurance agent you should use bold penguin yeah absolutely 100 <laughs> thanks for coming out man appreciate it well, thank you thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the leaders of b2b podcast if you enjoyed the show please give us a five-star rating and as always you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leaders of b2b.com <laughs>